Welcome to the Wheel of Sports, home of the greatest sports stories ever told. My name's Ian McNally, and with me is... It's, it's Matt Lavery, Matt Lavery, Ian. I almost said I was Ian. Wow, I'm excited. How are you? <laughs> you know, dress for the job you want, not the one you've got, you know? Did you get that? Wow. Yeah, that would be scary to do this um, podcast to myself. Yeah, that would be unusual. Let me get this wheel spinning. Get the wheel spinning, Matt. Uh, our episode about the curse of Mayo, uh, which I'm sure listeners would have already listened to, but if not, please go back and have a listen because you had some correspondence from Mayo. One of our listeners, loyal listeners, Maraid, has contacted us to say that there's another version of the story you know the the initial version was that you, that you told was about the team uh driving past the funeral yeah um and not stopping well there's another version in mayo folklore that it was that the team were drunk and urinated into the sam mcguire cup and the priests cursed them for being disrespectful ah, okay i hadn't seen so that one. <laughs> That's it. it feels more likely. Raid's version probably sounds it's, more. <laughs> it's certainly more imaginative, yeah. isn't it? And less less dreary. Definitely. But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's straight. So thanks, Maraid, for sending that in. Anyone else from Mayo who also has versions, please do send them uh, the wheel of sports at gmail.com. Uh, wheel stops. The wheel of stops. It's on golden moments, Ian. Golden moments. Golden moments. Oh, Matt, I'm going to take this one. Uh, this is a moment in time which. Uh, at the time was a golden moment and in retrospect was even more uh, gilded because this is the story of the 1970 VFL Grand Final. So Aussie rules were in Melbourne. Just to paint the picture, the VFL in 1970 has 12 teams uh, competing for the title, the flag, and all the teams are Victorian, so there's no interstate teams at the time. Worth mentioning that this is uh, the Code of Australian Rules football, uh, for those who don't know what VFL is. Uh, it's the modern-day Aussie rules. Absolutely. So what then becomes the AFL, uh, which is the modern version of the uh, Australian Rules football, uh, was the VFL, and it was uh, hugely supported in Victoria. And this final in particular was against two old rivals Carlton versus Collingwood now they're two suburbs that are very close by to each other and hot yeah fierce rivals aren't they definitely even to this day yeah even to to this day i mean neither team have have done much in recent history but their supporter base are amongst two of the biggest in the AFL and when Carlton played Collingwood, they always sell out the MCG. So you always get kind of 98, 100,000 fans uh, p- paying to go and see that game. And in, even in recent times when that game perhaps hasn't been the most entertaining or the best football that you could see, uh, it, it, it is almost a, a tradition. A bit harsh on Collingwood that when they've made the, <laughs> the penny on when you're listening, but they've done all right, haven't they? <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah, Collingwood have done uh, not too bad, but certainly Carlton have been in the doldrums um, for for quite a while. Um, So the build-up to this game is is really 
excitable and it is for the 12th season running the highest attendance i think it remains the highest attendance for the grand final to this day wow. 121,696 fans Goodness. packed into the mcg i mean to put that in perspective that's that's more than uh any super bowl <laughs> like yeah. you know uh it's it's more than uh you know m even the biggest european stadiums uh in soccer 121,696 attended the other thing to add to that matt is that uh, that was helped somewhat by the fact that at the time and i found this very amusing when i read this the game wasn't broadcast live on tv in victoria <laughs> see see if you want to be there you've, well, if you want to see you've got to get there well, the bizarre thing is, Matt, is that there's actually quite a lot of interest around Australia outside of Victoria for this final. The game is broadcast live in Sydney. <laughs> right, OK. <laughs> so you, you, you end up with a situation with some Carlton and Collingwood fans uh, buying a return flight from Melbourne to Sydney <laughs> to watch the game live. <laughs> Just to watch it on TV. Wow, that is a... To watch it on TV. Goodness me, we're spoiled these days, aren't we, with our internet and live streaming? <laughs> yeah, so uh, they do uh, they do show the game uh, later in the evening, like in full, um, but it's a delayed because and they they actually didn't show the game live in Victoria until 1977, which was <laughs> so so curious that you know they thought if you show the game live, nobody will turn up in person. I think they still would have but anyway. Um, Look, I'm going to say at the start, spoilers, it is a uh, against all odds, really. Uh, it's it's a comeback story. But the reason this is a golden moment is because what happens in this game changes the course of Australian rules football forever all right. in one game. It's extraordinary, Matt. But what I'm going to do, I'm going to tell you the story of the comeback and then I'm going to tell you the thing that happened uh, that made that comeback possible and how that changed the shape of the game uh, for decades to come. So it's the VFL Grand Final 1970, 100, over 120,000 people in the MCG packed. It's exci They're so excited. Carlton are a good chance. Collingwood are a very good chance. It's really evenly matched. They have some of the best players in the game's history on the field. But in the first quarter, it's a washout. Carlton can't really even get forward. They are completely pinned back by the might of Collingwood. Collingwood are playing a very direct long ball game uh, and they are just overrunning Carlton. Carlton are nowhere. They, they really, there's, you know, there's that inevitable kind of nervous start to the game. They just get wiped out, uh, Carlton, and they just cannot live with Collingwood. There's so many goals scored that by the time it, it runs into halftime after the second quarter, Collingwood are 44 points ahead. So the game's over. It's done. The year of the Magpie and the way they're playing, it could easily be at the finish because yeah. they have a very great lead. They feel it, don't they? Yeah, so in VFL, you know, six points for a goal, one point for a behind. Collingwood are 73 points to Carlton's 29 at half time. 
Carlton have only scored four goals. Yeah. Uh, Collingwood have scored 10. <laughs> so it's it's not even a competition at this point. But uh, a couple of interesting things happen just in that second quarter. One of them is that the Collingwood player, McKenna, uh, he gets in a bad collision. Now, McKenna's an outstanding player. He scored 140 goals in, in that season. And he'd scored five goals in the first half of the game. Now, interestingly, the doctor wanted him to come off at half time, but the coach, Bob Rose, said, you're going to carry on playing. He actually did carry on playing and only scored one more goal for the whole game. Okay. So that was quite significant that McKenna uh, was quite badly injured. And later McKenna said that, you know, he went he went home, hobbled to bed. He said he woke up about 10 o'clock at night and he was like, I need to get to the wake. <laughs> he was dead. <laughs> you know? That's a good line. <laughs> so, um, talking of good lines, Matt, this one, in the second quarter, there's a line which lives on in VFL and AFL history. Mackay, Carlton player, kicks the ball to Jezelenko. Now, Jezelenko is of Ukrainian heritage. He's a brilliant, brilliant player, very, very athletic. And he jumps for the ball in what's called a specky. It's known as a specky, a spectacular maneuver, <laughs> which is leaping as high as you can for the ball and being able to hang in the air using your opponent's shoulders so you basically jump so high that you put your rest your knees on your opponent's shoulders. Yeah. If you can imagine such a thing, your opponent is full, you know standing up, and you catch the ball at an extraordinary height. Now Jezelenko does this, and the commentator Mike Williamson says, "Jezelenko, you beauty," <laughs> and that <laughs> that line is. In Australian parlance. I've heard, I, I, I've said that, you beauty, and I didn't know where it comes from. That's brilliant. Inside, oh, Jessalenko, you beauty. You beauty. Yeah, <laughs> you beauty. So, and it, it's, it's, it's a ray of light, that Jezelenko goal, because it's one of the few moments of the game where Carlton actually did anything good uh, in the first half. To put it in perspective, Carlton are defending so badly that there's times where Collingwood are just kicking the ball to their teammates and there's no one else about. It's like one of the commentators said, uh, Ron Barassi, who was the uh, Carlton coach, he said he must be apoplectic, sorry, apoplectic with rage. You know, he, he, he must be uh, absolutely furious Barassi because at quarter time, you have that um, chat with your players on the field. Mm. So all the cameras are on it. And Barassi was raging. You know, he was really shouting at his players and upset with how the first quarter had gone. It, it had had no effect because in the second quarter, the players went out and were equally as poor. <laughs> 44 points down. The commentator actually says at half time when the players get to go off the field and into the changing rooms... He said, as the players walk off, they'll the Carlton players will receive the greatest ear bashing of their lives <laughs> from Parassi. <laughs> yeah, one of those you don't you don't want to go in for half time. <laughs> you know what's coming. Yeah. 
Yeah, you'd much rather be on the field because you think at least people can see me. <laughs> yeah, at least I'm safe as <laughs> witnesses. <know>? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, look, it's it's a bit of a washout, really. Uh, the for for Carlton, you know, they look lethargic. They're tired. They've been completely overrun by this energetic Collingwood team. I suppose it's important just for people who aren't familiar with Aussie rules. Uh, there's a way that you basically move the ball uh, around the field. One of them is you kick it. And if you kick it and your colleague catches it, or even if it, the opponent catches it, it's called a mark. So wherever you catch it, you stay put and then nobody, it's like a free kick. Nobody can come and tackle you once you've marked it. You can step backwards and you can handball it or kick it. And the other one is the handball where you simply punch the ball effectively out of your hand uh, to another player. But when you handball it, the ball's still live. So people can come and tackle you uh, because you haven't marked the ball Mm -hmm. uh, because it hasn't been a kick. So... The reason I tell you that, Matt, is because um, after the halftime break, Carlton come out and they've put a player on called Ted Hopkins, who's little known, but he scores the first two goals for Carlton. Hopkins in a bit of trouble, but he shoots. He's put it through. It gives them a little bit of hope. Yeah. <laughs> this, this Ted Hopkins just scoring. 11 minutes later, Matt, Carlton have scored seven goals. That's, that is remarkable, isn't it? In seven goals in 11 minutes is that's amazing what a period it's actually one of the greatest purple patches in Australian rules history yeah that doesn't happen <laughs> that's that's amazing put this in the context of Collingwood absolutely dominating yeah slaying Carlton dominating them making them look tired and lethargic the scores now sit Collingwood 74 to Carlton 71 oh Barassi's really stirred them up hasn't he well, it's their only hope, Michael, the last game of the year. This and the momentum's with Carlton now as well. Amazing. Collingwood actually managed to steady themselves after this 11-minute onslaught. And by the end of the third quarter, it's 93 points for Collingwood, 77 to Carlton. So there's just 16 points in it. Yeah. But Collingwood are still in the ascendancy. Uh, they're still ahead as well. Uh, they've managed to just impose their authority on the game again, but they have completely been rattled by Carlton's response here. Now, the team talk, again, takes place on the field between a third and fourth quarter. Barassi, who has absolutely rinsed his players after the first quarter, he's had a half-time team talk, which was possibly the greatest ear-bashing of their lives. <laughs> What does he do now in the third? Because they've actually played a very, probably one of the best responses in AFL AFL history. He says to the players, if we win, lose or draw, I'll be proud of you. I'm proud of you for what you've just done. Which is quite smart, isn't it? He's taking the pressure off the players, isn't he? Yeah, Yeah, I guess so, yeah. He's kind of saying, you know, doesn't matter what you do now. And he must have also thought that this Collingwood team... They've just taken a bashing and they've got within three points of them. What did Collingwood do? Well, they just edge ahead a bit further. 93 points to 77. You know, they've still got enough about them. They haven't completely lost the bottle. They've still got enough about them to respond. Now, the fourth quarter gets started. Collingwood again, edge ahead, 100 points to 85. 
then it's 100 points to 92, then it's 100 points to 99. Oh, wow. Goodness me. The quarters are 20 minutes long, but obviously with stoppages, they generally tend to run to 30 minutes. 25 minutes in, Matt. Carlton score an amazing goal by Brent Crosswell. 105 points to 100. And this is the first time Carlton have have had the lead in the game. So we're in, we're in extra time or stoppage time in the final quarter of a game that lasts... It could be two hours, two and a half hours, can't it, quite easily. Um, and now they've finally got the lead and... That is amazing after being so far behind. It's it's amazing as well, eh? I did just this little um, thing. Uh, I watched some of the old footage of it, and players back then when they scored, they didn't celebrate. They just turn around and get back to it. Yeah, you just kind of score, and it's just like, yeah, all right. What's my job? Yeah, no, it's not like in soccer where like they all run over and jump on each other. It's like, <clears throat> oh yeah, a score and. Yeah, nice one. Got a job to do. So this moment was quite unique because Brent Crosswell, who scored a brilliant kick, kept his head really well. He really punches the air, you know, like really celebrates. Like just it's so like comic book kind of Roy the Rovers type of punch of the air. Yeah. You can see his whole body kind of. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> you know, oh, he just a, can't help himself. The players are they're suffering from cramp, they're struggling. Um, and then Jess Alenko, who is part of uh, Australia Rules folk- folklore because of Jess Alenko, you beauty, he capitalizes on an umpire's decision. So Collingwood catch the ball, uh, but it's not under control. The referee didn't honour it, said play on, and then the ball goes down the other end. Jezelenko, from quite a long way out, gives the ball a kick, and it bounces on the ground about 20 yards from the goal. (laughs) Now, you know, you've watched AFL, Matt, and you know that ball, the way it bounces, can be unpredictable. (laughs) Yeah, it can go, yeah. And so, so 20 yards out, it's a bit of a nervous time watching this rugby shaped ball bounce along the ground because it can bounce anywhere but it doesn't it bounces through those goals oh wow (laughs) (laughs) and so this ball that just kind of tumbles into the goal could it have gone anywhere else absolutely not it's 101 points to carlton's 111 carlton have scored 17 goals to Collingwood's 14 and that is the most one of the most amazing comebacks some of the greatest players uh, John Nichols deserves uh, a mention he was captain of uh, Carlton and John Nichols he's he's like six foot two it's about 16 stone he looks like a, a comic book hero like <laughs> you know if you have to draw like a comic book AFL player. Right. He's just got legs like tree trunks. He's just massive. And you know, he's just the type of like character who's like, you know, just determined to play the right way. <laughs> no. Like, I'm going to be courageous <laughs> and do everything, you know, like he, he's just so, such a solid 
bloke. You know, you imagine in training they'd say, all right, lads, two laps of the oval or one lap around John Nichols. <laughs> so it should be really against all odds. Or against all odds, yeah. But what happened? It's not against all odds because the beauty of this final uh, uh, as well as, as well as it being one of the most amazing comebacks in a in a grand final ever, there's something that happens at half time which changes the course of Australian rules football. And when I heard about this story, listener of the show Neil told me he actually played a handful of games uh, in the VFL, so he's very well placed to uh, to to school me on the, these uh, matters. He told me of this story. And I just had to go away and research it and, and do an episode on it because the coach for Carlton, Ron Barassi, I know it said he, he went mad at the players after the first quarter. And then he told the players, you know, I'm proud of you, whatever happens. Mm. What happens in that half time when they go into the dressing room? He had worked out that in the first half, I think the ball had only been handballed about 13 times by Carlton. So... What they decided to do in, in that first half, in the first two quarters, is when they'd got the ball, Carlton, they were so under the pump and under pressure by Collingwood that they just started to kick the ball as far as they could or try and kick it to get a mark to give them some respite. And Collingwood had just overwhelmed them. They would kick it, but they weren't in the right positions or they'd lose the mark, they wouldn't be able to catch it. Or Collingwood would benefit from their loose kicking and under pressure kicking. And as he explained before about those two options of kicking or catching in, in uh, Australian rules, Barassi simply says to the players, we handball, handball and handball. Now, this has an impact in the second half, which causes those seven goals in 11 minutes. Because Carlton, all of a sudden, instead of kicking the ball, what they start doing is just moving the ball really quickly. So they handball it, handball it, moving it on. Even when they get a mark, they're choosing to handball it instead of kick it. Playing on, using the handball, possibly overdoing it, but trying to upset Collingwood's play on game. And obviously when you handball it, you don't, do, you don't get that distance. You have to, I guess it's a much shorter passing move, isn't it? Rather than the long kicks where you can belt it, you know, all the way across the pitch. A, a handball, a punch of the ball can only go a few metres, right? Exactly. So it is a, a um, higher skill to be able to handball and, and, and catch and positional sense as well. But also it's a um, more accurate way really because cause, because it's shorter. Yeah. Uh, there's less margin for error. So, and, and you, but you do need to be really quick. And, and you need to be close to one another as well, right? You need to work, work together. Exactly. But it has this huge advantage against Collingwood because Collingwood have had it all of their own way. And all of a sudden, they're facing this quite dynamic Carlton team who, who've also been helped by uh, Ted Hopkins, who scored uh, four of the goals, I think, in the, in that, um, in the rest of the game. He came on as a, as a substitute and he just roved around. He kind of epitomised this short-playing game. It, Matt, it's like the equivalent of Wimbledon Football Club, who were known for their long ball game, going in a half time in a in a cup final, and saying, "Right, lads, 
we're going to do ticky tacky. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're, we're going to change our whole game and we're going to just do short passing. So when the goalkeeper gets the ball, instead of just launching it down to the big centre forward, roll it out to the right back and he's going to just play. You know, like, pass, 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 pass. We're going to play triangles all over the pitch and then just walk the ball into the goal. It's a radical change and it's so effective. And to do it in the grand final with 120,000 people in the ground is just extraordinary. I suppose in some sense they had nothing to lose because they're 44 points down. That's what I was thinking. But at the same time, they they did have uh, uh, maybe, you know, changing your game plan like that in a grand final. I, I mean, you do run the risk as well of embarrassing yourself beyond repair. So yeah, it could, it could. I mean, Ron Baresi's uh, switch there, the tactical switches, that's amazing. But you'd think, yeah, it, it, that's because they won. If they got, if it yeah. got worse, and <laughs> the guy's a lunatic <laughs> who's t- <laughs> he's just turned the very bad situation even worse. Even worse, yeah. No, that's amazing, though. In fact, I mean, fair play to to Baresi, but also to the players for having the uh, the ability and the skill to to do that. That's amazing. Had they had they played in that style before the final? Was this was this totally alien to them? This new uh... no. So it's it's an interesting question that Matt, because this grand final is basically um, seen as a pivotal moment for Australian rules football. So it's it's basically. Um, the, a simple way to sum it up would be to say that they played uh, in an old-fashioned, Carlton played old-fashioned football in the first half, and in the second half they played modern. Right. So it, it, it's it's kind of that stark. So it was basically, you know, that they saw the, this was the future of football in the second half. And it, it's interesting that I think probably in Australian folklore, Looking back at the game, you can probably say, oh, wow, like in just in isolation, it's like, oh, this is an amazing turn to basically create a new style of of playing the game in a grand final. (laughs) Just for half time within 15 minutes. There's probably a little bit more to it than that. So um, they did. Um, play a, a shorter handball uh, game against Hawthorne in the semi-finals. This style had also been creeping in probably since the 60s um, mm-hmm. and certainly in the latter part. So the, there, was, there, was, there, there wasn't precedent for doing it in this style, but there certainly w- it was around as, a, as an idea. Uh, you know, so it's, if you're looking at this game in isolation, you could kind of just say well you know this changed the course and it did but the reason it changed the course I think was because it actually convinced people that you could do this new more modern style of football and win and, and be, it be effective yeah, yeah. and be successful yeah. so because some people uh, would have been a lot of detractors uh, people who thought you just couldn't do it um, and I suppose mm-hmm. that's the same in, in the comparison is in, in soccer with uh, you know a Barcelona style, uh, you know possession based uh, game, um, which obviously people were very skeptical about until you start to win, um, mm-hmm. and to do it in the grand final in in, in this fashion, 
There's also a few interesting uh, observations as well that, that were made. Um, Bob Rose, who was the Collingwood coach, he spent the game at pitch side, so kind of, you know, in the dugout, shouting uh, orders on and, and so on from the side. Ron Barassi, he was up in the stand watching. So you could see the whole pitch. Wow. And there is talk that that, perhaps was pivotal in... Because that's where they all sit now, right? I mean, that's normal. It's it's it, The head coach is higher up. He's not pitch side ever these days, right? Yeah, they sit in that uh, weird box with a with an old-style telephone. Yeah. <laughs> and you see them, and they like, ring down to their the assistants. Yeah. yeah, but they'll, see they'll call their angry. assistants to get messages on because they can... They can get a better view of what's going on from higher up. So was was that the first time that had happened as well, or was that pretty revolutionary? Was it? I, I don't think it was the first time it happened, but it and it wasn't revolutionary. But I I think you know the fact that Bob Rose was a traditional coach, there was probably something in it that I mean, one analysis was that it meant that Ron Barassi was ten or fifteen minutes ahead of Bob Rose in in tactical terms. So. Yeah. And also the fact that right after the game, Barassi had already counted how many handballs there were in that first half. I mean, you couldn't really do that from pitch side. Uh, mm. That type of analysis probably, uh, you know, you, you'd only be able to do from a from a better vantage point. So, you know, the, we probably wouldn't be pouring over the analysis like this uh, if it would have been another grand final. But be just because of the way this played out, I mean, we start looking at the, the minutiae of, you know, where the coaches were sitting, where they were located. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, the fact that M- McKenna got uh, really badly hurt in that second quarter, the fact that Ted Hopkins... Ted Hopkins is an amazing story as well. I think he scored four goals in that final half. He came on as the sub half-time roved around, scored the first two goals um, of that Carlton comeback. He only played one more game for Carlton, and then he quit football <laughs> wow, <laughs> to pursue okay. other interests. <laughs> so it's God. like, it, it's quite amazing, um, you know, the stories within this. Just adds to the legend that though, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, what, is, what a story to be able to tell. Um, but you, yeah. and also the the way the the points worked as well. Like after the second quarter, there was forty four points in it. After the third, seventeen. Be just before the fourth quarter, there was ten points in it, and then the game is won by ten points. So, just that eating away oh, of the the points is is fantastic. But an amazing story, one of the great grand finals, not just in. Australian rules history, but in world sport, I think this is one of the great. And the if you're a student of any um, sport and certainly coaching and, and styles, you've got to check out Ron Barassi and ch- check this final out. Uh, there is uh, some footage of this final and you've definitely got to check out Jessalenko, you beauty. <laughs> you beauty. I'm going to check that out right now, man. I'm really, really looking forward to that. Thanks very much for telling that amazing tale, Ian. And, and thanks very much to you, listener, and to Maraid for getting in touch. Uh, if you want to get in touch, uh, please do. You can reach us at thewheelofsport at gmail.com uh, or on social media, uh, Twitter and Instagram at the handle 
the Wheel of Sport. And yeah, we look forward to, to your correspondence. Thanks again, Ian. That was absolutely amazing. What a great story. Thanks, Matt. I'm off to uh, find a, a, a grown man's shoulders to kneel on. <laughs> you beauty. <laughs> <laughs> Board blank, a mark two.